Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. We talk a lot about businesses on this program, and we talk a lot about the manufacturing sector on this program. When people think manufacturing, they often think steel mill, car factory, uh, the microchip plant that was just announced uh, over in Ohio a, a few days ago. But there are a lot of small firms that are doing really interesting work in the Mon Valley. And they might be flying under your radar, so to speak. Ben Peoples Industries is one of them. They do custom lighting and custom research and development for the lighting industry. Uh, Ben Peoples himself is on the line with us this morning. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Uh, Tell us a little bit. You're located in North Braddock, and you do – your website says creative lighting. But yes. I, I think you've done everything from buildings and bridges to Broadway stages, correct? Yes, yes. We are kind of all over the map. Uh, if there's lighting involved, we're, we've, we've certainly been involved with it to some extent. Um, our, our primary business is split between what, what we call the entertainment industry, which is primarily live entertainment. So doing things like Broadway shows and regional theater and things like that. And architectural lighting, which for us is mostly the pretty lights on the outsides of buildings and bridges and things like that. How many people work for you? We have, uh, <laughs> it's a rotating cast a lot of sure. times. Uh, we have about six employees right now. Okay. Um, some are part-time, some are full-time. And so, where, where, what areas do you serve? I mean, are you primarily on the East Coast or you, do you go all over the country? We are all over the place. Uh, we have a lot of work here in Pittsburgh with architectural lighting because sure. we're based here. And so it's easier for us to be involved. But we have projects. We have projects up in Canada. We have projects down in Tennessee and out on the West Coast and kind of all over the place uh, in, in terms of architectural installations. And then we also have stuff on Broadway shows, which is mostly New York, but also tours. And so constantly stuff going all over the country, out to Australia, stuff like that, of these tours heading all over the place. And we're all manufacturing pretty much everything here in in North Braddock. This is amazing to me. Give uh, folks your website address if they want to find out more information. Sure. It is benpeoples.com, B-E-N-P-E-O-P-L-E-S. Ben Peoples is our guest. We're talking about his company, Ben Peoples Industries, which is located in North Braddock. How did you – tell me a little bit about yourself first off. Where where did you grow up? Are you from the Pittsburgh area originally? Uh, Not really. My mom is from Pittsburgh. So my mom grew up here, and so I've been visiting Pittsburgh forever. Uh, I grew up a lot of different places, but I mostly grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. And then I, yeah, and then I came here for college at Carnegie Mellon. Okay. There, there's a lot so, of uh, custom lighting uh, design that comes out of, I think, School of Design and the College of uh, Electrical and Computer Engineering, those departments at, at CMU. What department were you in? There is. I was in the drama department. Okay. So mm-hmm. I actually went to school for theater um, mm-hmm. on the technical side of things, mm-hmm. um, and I usually tell people that I have a degree in technical direction and lighting design. Technical direction is more building scenery. Lighting design is obviously design lighting. Mm -hmm. Um, And came out of that uh, and actually went out to the West Coast for a while 
and worked as uh, an architectural consultant. So I was actually for about 10 years designing buildings, okay. uh, primarily primarily working for architects when they were building buildings that had theaters in them. And so we came in and we you know, helped them figure out the theater part of that. That's an industry that must have really gotten hammered with COVID-19. That, that must have really yeah, affected your work. Yes. I mean, COVID-19 absolutely affected our, our, our work as well. But yeah, the, the architectural planning industry got a really big hiccup out of the out of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic because they a lot of projects like went on hold and everything shifted around, which kind of interrupted all of their flow. Did, did yeah. you primarily work for other contractors or were you out on your own? Were you were you working just as part of a, a larger stage crew or? Yeah, so that that the company that I was working for was uh, specifically a, a, a firm that were, uh, I mean, probably five or six of us in that firm uh, that were working for architects. Um, and so it was it was part of part of a, a, a group of people hired hired on a project by project basis. I will tell you, we mostly built high schools. Um, okay. That's kind of the, yeah. the bread and butter of that work is is building high school auditoriums. Sure. Uh, we're talking with Ben Peoples, who I get founder, CEO of, of Ben Peoples Industries in, in North Braddock. Um, about how old is the company now? Uh, the company itself is actually 10 years old at this point. Okay. Um, I started it as I left uh, the, the architectural consulting world. Is I spun up this company. This is probably the third version of what we're doing as a company. Um, we certainly iterated a few times to find something that actually stuck. And growing but, up in, in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and, and being interested in theater, were you always interested in the behind-the-scenes part, or did you have a goal of, of one day maybe being on stage or, or being a performer? I always had more of an interest in the backstage stuff. Uh -huh. um, I, I as, a, as an elementary school student, did extracurricular theater stuff. Uh, as a performer, um, and then, but was very interested in the technical aspects of things in the backstage portions, which they didn't let the 10 year olds play with. Uh, <laughs> and then as I got into high school, I got into the more technical side of theater and was kind of running my high school's technical program in theater, uh, and then headed off to college for that. How has this, um, well, there's two different industries really that, that are related, but are separate. I'll start with the theater lighting industry. Do, do you also do stage lighting for television studios, for instance, and for uh, film studios? Or is it mostly live? So we've done a small bit of that. Um, we've mostly gotten involved with, uh, actually, we've mostly gotten involved with that as in the pandemic, as people were trying to do remote production. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some of our cloud-based technologies help them make some things happen. Um, but for the most part, we focus on live entertainment, uh, rather than television or film studios, Okay, just because they are completely separate worlds. And, you know, the, there, there is some crossover between them, okay. but they operate so differently with, between a production, like a Broadway show that there is a production eight times a week that has to happen and has to happen in a particular way versus a film production where they come into town, they set up, they do their whole thing, and okay. then they tear it all down and take it away. How has the technology changed? Because it seems to me that there was sort of incremental change, and then it seems like in the last 20 or 30 years, especially with computer control, and you've already alluded to cloud control of, of lighting design, it just exploded. What we've seen since probably 2006 has been like a combination of things of one increasing network ability where you're not running custom wiring to all of these things. You're just running regular computer networks. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but the other thing that happened is is LEDs. Oh, okay. And LEDs have kind of become their own revolution in lighting in terms of energy efficiency and color mixing and reduced heat load even. The, the heat load, and I, we have a break coming up, but you know, I'm, I'm more familiar with broadcasting studios than I am with uh, live stage. But And I was, it was reading recently about um, some of the early television studios, and it just it dawned on me that a, a studio from, let's say, the late 1950s would not look that different to someone in 1995, right? The, like you said, there's levers and knobs and, and people are moving big Klieg lights around and things. Whereas in 2022, that looks like Flintstone technology. I mean, the cameras are remote controlled, the lighting is remote controlled. And, and you mentioned heat load. One of the things that all of these st stories about the early days of television, or for that matter, early days of motion pictures, is the, the amount of heat and people sweating and giant air conditioners being needed to, you know, or they, or they would, would, would tape outside with the doors open because it was so hot that, you know, people are passing out in the studios. Um, and yep, and exactly. I want to get into this after the break, but LEDs, that ha that's a game changer. It has totally changed the way studios are built, uh, especially new studios, are built totally differently now because of the LEDs and because of automated lighting. Let, let's, let's pause there. Uh, we're talking with Ben Peoples. He's the founder of Ben Peoples Industries. When we come back from this break, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this architectural lighting and how that has come on strong over the last 20 years or so. Pittsburgh's skyline has really transformed. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at striffler's.com or call 412-678-6191. I want to address another big area of work for your company, which is architectural lighting, which is the, the lighting both for safety and for decorative purposes that we see a lot of times on the outsides of buildings. And downtown Pittsburgh skyline, which, again, looked the same for about 20 years, new buildings were coming and going, but now has all of these lights on it. The top of the uh, golf tower is, is lighted in different colors and colors that they can change uh, for different times of the season. Uh, all of the buildings pretty much have signage now identifying who's in them. Some of the bridges in Pittsburgh have, have now been lighted. Um, what, what caused this explosion of, of, of color, this explosion of light, this explosion of, of motion and activity that we see? Well, I think it's a lot. It's a it's a lot. The like the LED revolution mm -hmm. uh, is a way to way to refer to it. Is it used to be, uh, and and when we were working on the Fifth Avenue place changeover, they changed mm -hmm. over to, to LEDs. They had so that was one of your that was one of your that was one of your projects then. Yeah, the second okay. the second round of that was okay. actually one of our projects. They had already changed the LEDs once, and then they replaced it again. Okay. We were involved, uh, along with local company Clear Story Creative, uh, actually did the integration. We had some of the controls. And before well, before and, we before we get, go too far into the weeds, we should tell people that yeah. that LEDs are what is called light emitting diodes, and I don't know that it matters that much to to people how it works, but it is a cold filament versus the conventional you know, 60-watt incandescent light bulbs that most of us grew up with that it gets a hot filament and that bulb gets can get red hot after all, right? And the more of those bulbs, the more power you're sucking up. And a lot of that 
electricity you're putting through that light is getting wasted. It's getting turned into heat, and it's not getting turned mm -hmm. into light, which is really good in the wintertime if you want to keep your car warm and keep your battery from going dead, but it's not that great if you're trying to save electricity. In between, there were fluorescent lights, but I, I don't think anybody really liked fluorescent lights, number one, because they kind of turned everybody kind of sickly green-yellow, and number two, I think for your purposes, weren't that useful. They don't throw off a whole lot of light for lighting up a bridge or lighting up the top of a building, for instance. So LEDs are this cold filament that, you know, glows as bright as you want. Right. And the other neat thing with the LEDs is that when you have color changing LEDs, you generally have at least a red, a green, and a blue, mm -hmm. which means you're only turning on however much light you want. Before that, we had to put a white light in and then put color filters in yep. front of it. And it was hard to change the filters. There were machines that would change filters for you. But, you know, generally, if you wanted to change color, you had to go change the filter. But the other thing was that it was it was taking away light. So you were making you You're know, blocking some of, it. of light. Yeah. And then if you wanted a deep blue, you were eating like 400 watts of that into the blue filter. Sure. LEDs have been around for a long time. But until recently, you could basically get them in three colors. You got them in mm -hmm. red amber and and green basically mm -hmm. and they weren't extremely weren't extremely bright and they weren't extremely large that you, right. you, you couldn't use them in a flashlight for instance or, or a spotlight or to light up a bridge for instance exactly exactly and and in the 90s it became commercially available to actually use blue leds and right away the company color kinetics which actually was some carnegie mellon alums originally mm -hmm. Um, developed a red, green, blue color mixing, got that patented, and got it out to market. And they were they were kind of the leading charge of all, all of this pretty colored lights on buildings was really originally color kinetics. Okay. There's a bunch of other companies out there now, um, but you know they were kind of they were kind of the first ones out of, of, of the gate, and you know are still actually one of the major companies involved. We're, we're talking with Ben Peoples this morning. You were about to you were starting to talk about Fifth Avenue Place in downtown Pittsburgh when I sort of took this detour into light bulb technology, and I apologize for that. What, what, what were some of the challenges you faced? You said it was actually a, ret a second time that they were changing. And they had already changed to LEDs, and they were updating their existing LED system. Yeah. So originally, when the building was built, it was uh, uh, high HID fixtures, I believe. I never actually saw the original fixtures, but it was it was some kind of large, very bright light that had these huge glass filters. Mm -hmm. And so, if they wanted to change the color, you had to buy these like hundred dollar glass filters and change them out. So uh, when they 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 changed those out to color changing fixtures. Um, which one of the challenges with being on top of a building is that the, it's terrible exposure. Like it's hot, mm -hmm. it's wet, mm -hmm. windy, it snows. And those fixtures after a few years eventually died. And uh, our, our, our friends at ClearStory were brought in to replace them and they designed a replacement. And there's now a different lighting package up there um, that is, is, seems to be going strong. At least, as 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 we've heard, it seems to be going strong. For for people who who may not remember which building is which, that's the High Mark, the building that has High Mark's logo on it, I believe. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, how does someone? I mean, you you went and you got into this business through being a theater kid and, and going through a theater arts program at Carnegie Mellon. Is that the usual path to get into lighting design? Is is through a theater program, or can people get in through There's... electrical engineering or? There's a lot of different paths, and it's and it's fascinating to meet the people in the industry who have come to it from all different places. Um, there's a lot of people in my end of things that came through a theater program and either picked up another degree or were self-taught or, or did various other things. There's a lot of people who went to college for what I would argue is something sensible, like engineering, 
and then decided to go into this world, sometimes on the manufacturing end, mm-hmm. sometimes on the design end, things like that. Uh, you also get a lot of architects who specialize in the lighting design end of things because a lot of this lighting is designed by the architects. You sometimes have a more entertainment-focused designer involved, but a lot of times it's just the architect and there's an architectural lighting designer who doesn't do entertainment, doesn't have an entertainment background, and is doing you know the same sort of work. So I think there's many paths to this. Uh, certainly at the, at the, the highest levels of, you know, various, various college paths to it, but there's also plenty of people working in all sorts of ends of the field who have no college education and have come from high school programs, sometimes vocational training into this. And, you know, I've picked stuff up. I work with amazing technicians and electrical contractors and people like that who, you know, can run circles around me at, at all sorts of tasks. When I worked for Carnegie Mellon, we they lighted one of the pedestrian bridges there, and, and it was computer science students who worked on that because they had to program all the lighting controllers. So computer science is, is yet another path uh, into this industry. Yeah. If, Absolutely. There is so much software in the industry at this point. If somebody is hearing this and either they themselves or their niece or nephew or grandson or granddaughter is, is inter- you know has an aptitude for this kind of stuff, where, where should they start out? I mean, should they volunteer on their stage crew at their high school or or what should they do yeah i mean high school high school theater is a fantastic program um it's always i don't know it's always it's always fun and it's always exciting to work on and you really kind of get the taste for theater there um there's also a ton of community theater and i was just going to say there's little lake theater and and mckeesport little theater and and those kind of organizations too yeah yeah those organizations are great there's also a lot of theaters once you have some experience under your belt, a lot of theaters have uh, an, an overhired list, which is just extra people they need to bring on. Mm-hmm. And that's another great way to get into into things like this. Um, I, I met a guy who was just brought in as overhire to this company that I was working with out in California. And I think within a year and a half, he was the production manager, like overseeing all of production. And so, you know, it was it was there's there's definitely paths like you show up and people will show you what to do. And, you know, you, you can just kind of go from there. Uh, we have another break to come up. We're talking with Ben Peoples. He's the founder of Ben Peoples uh, Industries in North Braddock. They are a lighting designer. They do lighting for theatrical shows uh, as well as for uh, outsides of buildings and underneath the bridges. Uh, you probably have seen their lights somewhere at some point. You just didn't know it. Um, we After the break, I want to ask you how you ended up uh, moving the business to North Braddock. But but first, I, I want to – you are a small manufacturer. When we say manufacturer, are you manufacturing circuit boards? Uh, you're, you're not manufacturing the actual lamps there, for instance. I'm assuming those are coming in from big suppliers. But uh, what, what sort of uh, fabbing are you doing there, as they say? Correct. So we have basically we have a feeder network of, of, of vendors who are building pieces and parts. So we have a metal shop down in Mount Pleasant that builds a lot of the cases and enclosures for things. We have, uh, we, we have PCB manufacturers. We have electronic suppliers. All of those pieces come in. We do the final assembly of PCBs in-house. We do all of our testing in-house. And then we actually assemble and test the products before they go out. And and just to be clear, I I would not hire you to do lighting at at my house or my small business more than likely. Right? This is You were doing this for big industrial clients. So don't call Ben if you you need (laughs) new new lighting around your koi pond in the backyard. Um, When we come back from the break, I want to ask you how you ended up in North Braddock and uh, how the community has been and what your needs are in terms of, of finding more people. Okay? 
Great. We're talking with Ben Peoples from Ben Peoples Industries. You're tuned to Two Rivers 30 Minutes broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. And we'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes. Support comes from the readers of TubeCityOnline.com and the Tube City Almanac. And we thank them for their support. If you'd like to contribute, please visit our website, call us at 412-614-9659, or email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com. How did you end up in North Braddock? Now, you, you, you mentioned that you came to Carnegie Mellon uh, for your uh, degree. You grew up in Louisville, although your family is from Pittsburgh, or your mom's family, you said, is from Pittsburgh. Why, why North Braddock? What, what was attractive about being in the Mon Valley? So it, we, we had a, a few years ago, uh, before, before we actually located this building, uh, we realized that to grow, we, we essentially needed a home. We mm-hmm. had been renting little corners of places and, and, and spaces and things like that. But we realized we wanted more stability. But we wanted to actually own a building, which mm-hmm. is actually possible in Western Pennsylvania yeah. uh, for a company of our size. And so we hooked up with a real estate agent we knew and, and said, what's on the market? Yeah. Like, what's, what's in our price range? And they had a whole bunch of different properties. They basically just drew us a map and the MLS spit out the things. And this property struck my eye almost immediately. Um, it, it notably was a gentleman's club uh, prior to our taking it over. <laughs> okay. Um, different, kind of out, different kind yes, of lighting. Different kind of lighting. Yes, they did actually have some lighting. I'll bet they did. Um, but it was still fit out for that. But I could see through it that the building had really good bones. Okay. And the building was like – it was it, there was a good building under all of the carpet and mirrors. And so we, we picked it up and we were able to get it at a really great price. And so a lot of times people, you know, ask us, how did you end up in North Braddock? And the answer is there was a cheap building there. It sure. was a really good building. Sure. And so we, we took over this building. We renovated it, uh, mostly just cleaned it out and painted okay. it. And that was about all we've had to do to it. And then uh, and, and we've, we've been there. The neighbors have been fantastic um, kind of settling in. It's a little bit of a weird location. We're in the midst of a residential neighborhood. Okay. So, you know, we're surrounded by little houses yeah. and, 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 and just people living their lives. And like, we're this commercial business that's there all day. And then they come home from work and we leave. Yeah, sure. And, you know, but we've made friends with some of the neighbors and it's, it's been, you know, like everyone has been wonderful. How, how important is, has the proximity to, Carnegie Mellon, Point Park, University of Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh Playhouse been in terms of both networking and um, finding jobs and also finding employees? Uh, Carnegie Mellon a lot for finding employees. Actually, we had a fantastic guy for a while out of out of Point Park. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the university feeder system has been really good to us. it's been less so finding finding work because okay. the way that we find work is complicated and could take another two hours to explain. Sure. But um, you know, the universities the universities certainly are a large client, mm-hmm. and I think we've we've certainly bid projects for them. Mm-hmm. And so you know, but uh, mostly we're dealing with new construction, some renovation, mm-hmm. things like that. And what was there a deciding factor in you staying in Pittsburgh versus Pittsburgh for all of its many virtues is pretty small in the in the theater 
ecosystem. Was was there a virtue for staying here rather than going to Chicago or New York or New Jersey? So there was certainly there. There have been times where I've thought, "Wow, this would be this this job would be a lot easier to do if I was in New York or yeah. near New York." Yeah. Uh, and, and then you look at how much it costs to be there yeah. and we can operate with so little overhead, which helps us, helps us stay afloat, but also mm-hmm. helps us keep our prices low and competitive, um, w- versus similar companies that are based in New York or, or Weehawken and, and things like yeah. that, where they're paying so much for their real estate and, and yeah. labor versus the market here. So we're, we we found that the cost of living offsets any inconvenience of occasionally having to drive five hours to New York. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something else that is interesting to me that, that often comes up in discussions of manufacturing. But again, people tend to think of manufacturing, they think of a tire factory or a steel mill or something. But there's a spinoff effect to what you're doing. So you're buying metal enclosures from someone in Mount Pleasant in Westmoreland County. You're buying uh, uh, unpopulated circuit boards from someone else. You're you're supporting the, the local infrastructure and the local ecosystem in other ways. Um, any idea on how many different vendors that you're working with in the Pittsburgh area. And, and I, I just think of like tracing the edges and there's probably yeah, like a spider tracing web. Tracing the edges is always interesting. Yeah. Um, we don't work with a ton in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. Um, just because a lot of our things are so specialized yeah. that we haven't found one, but we're always looking. Yeah. And so that's the thing. We're always trying to, trying to move closer and closer and closer. Um, the metal shop in Mount Pleasant is one of the most frequent people we're dealing with. Um, but you know, we're, we're constantly, constantly dealing with small vendors here, small vendors there as, yeah. as needs come up. Yeah. Yep. Uh, any advice for someone who maybe is, is thinking about this? Because uh, again, one of the things that, that caught my eye about your company is you're in North Braddock and that's not on the beaten path. And, and unfortunately for a lot of the Mon Valley communities, uh, the only time they, they make the news is if something bad happens. Um, so if somebody is looking around for space for their small business, what, what would you? What kind of advice would you give them? You you found your space through a real estate agent, but what kind of yeah. advice would you give them? I think it might be worth just driving around and looking. Yeah. I mean, you know, even after we've we've come into this building, as I'm exploring the areas, I, I bike around a lot yeah. and finding like all of these amazing little properties are all over the place. A lot of them aren't actively on the market, sure. but you can find them. You can find out who owns them and try and try and get them. Cause I think most of the people who are holding on to these don't want them. Huh. Um, and so, you know, but there are, there are absolutely amazing properties throughout the Holmon Valley that can absolutely serve a lot of strange needs and a lot of normal needs too. But like, you know, you don't have to rent just like a bay of an industrial warehouse. You can you can find like a building that might even have been purpose built for the thing that you're doing. Is it a, a disadvantage for you that you are not directly on an interstate, for instance? I mean, you're you're kind of off the parkway by a couple miles. Yeah, we're about we're about it's it's like eight mi- eight minutes from the parkway. Okay. Um, it's not a disadvantage for us because we don't deal directly with customers. Okay, sure. Um, we almost always ship things out from us, and most of our customers aren't even local. So, yeah. it, it, you know, we don't have customers stopping by. It would be a problem if we if we had to have foot traffic coming by sure. because, you know, it's it's it is way off the beaten path, but. In terms of trying to try for for us, it doesn't really matter where we're located, which yeah. made it an easy choice to get there. And and, and th- was there any help that you could have used um, in the Mon Valley, either from a, a non governmental organization or from one of the local governments that you didn't receive, or is there anything you wish you had gotten that that maybe you would like to see in the future? 
I mean, nothing that we've actually asked for. Yeah, um, okay. I think is, is the is, is the thing is like is is North Braddock like the 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 borough of North Braddock was incredibly encouraging of us coming and worked us through. We had to get the the property yeah. rezoned to be able to occupy it, yeah. and helping us through that whole process has been great. Um, we have our eye on some nearby abandoned properties, and which is you know obviously a huge issue in the Mon Valley. Yep. Um, and you know, we, we haven't, what, what we'd like to explore soon is tax abatement on purchasing of properties. And, you know, that's the one thing I'm a little concerned about is whether we can get the favorable terms that we want. Uh, Ben Peoples has been our guest. He is the founder of Ben Peoples Industries. They do industrial lighting for the outsides of buildings and bridges. They also do theatrical lighting for theatrical shows. So if I've been to a concert, I may have seen some of your lighting, for instance, or if I've been to a Uh, a Most likely Broadway shows. Broadway shows, okay. Um, Broadway shows, we have a a product that's used backstage on Broadway shows, but almost all of them at this point. Okay, very cool. So if you've been to a Broadway show, you've seen their work in action. You can find out more about them at Ben Peoples. They are located in Braddock Bend. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.